Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And Andy, I forgot to roll. You did indeed. <laughs> let, me just, let me do that right now. We're going to do this on air, okay? Two. Two. All right. Well, Chris, uh, this episode is already total chaos because we're <laughs> out of order here, but the topic we will be taking upon ourselves to do in the next 20 or 25 minutes is design a tactile mechanic for tracking either danger or time. And whoever added this to the table put some examples of some existing systems. They say, think along the lines of a Jenga tire tower or candles burning out. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Uh, yeah, this is a good topic. I mean, I added it, so of course I think it's a good topic. <laughs> yeah, got some... Got some ideas there. Um, yeah, before we get the before we get into that topic, I want to say welcome back. Um, glad to have you have you back on the show. Uh, last time you were out um, sick, but you feeling all better? Yeah, yeah, for the most part. I uh, yeah, yeah, I appreciate you and uh, and John covering for me in my absence. And I know oh, yeah. it was really really hard for listeners to uh, not have me there. I'm sorry. Yeah. I really feel your pain, but I'm back. Yeah, I'm sure most of them just, you know, stopped listening on that one, deleted it, and went and <laughs> the, the early episodes and just did for that comfort. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I had uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, and this is really going to be sort of me pitching to you a movie that I think you should, you absolutely should watch as soon as possible. Okay. Um, so this movie is called RRR. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, three R's. Uh, it is a Bollywood movie, um, and I know basically nothing about Bollywood. Right, like other than having seen like a handful, handful of movies a while ago. From what I'm told, this one was like the highest budget Bollywood film that's been made recently, and it stars two people that um, have never been in a movie together, but they're like big Bollywood stars, you know, elsewhere. Okay, it's an incredible movie. It's sort of a, it's all about like it's set in 1920s, I think like the 1920s or so. So this is before India is like you know uh, it's its own. Right, like it's under, under British rule, right? Okay. So you have you have these two revolutionaries um, that the the story is following, and they go from like people who are like pretty good at like fighting and stuff to basically full on superheroes by the end of the movie. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. So it's just this like slow progression of them like being able to like beat up a guy, but then by the end, um, they are just uh, the one thing I will spoil is like one of them grabs a motorcycle that's coming at him, picks it up, flips it around, and then throws it at someone else. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but it's like every every scene in that movie just sort of one-ups itself. And it's like a three-hour-long movie, so you, you wouldn't think that'd be possible. But it's just, it is. Like, it's just every action sequence is more and more and more. Um, and then you just have these comically uh, evil British, you know, British soldiers and <laughs> governors and stuff like that. You know, just like treat, uh, yeah, treat the treat like everybody who's brown, right? Like it's just like a terrible, you know, like sure. in terrible, terrible ways. Yeah, it's incredible. It's really good. It's basically a giant revenge fantasy in which the heroes get to be like, yeah, full on superheroes by the end of it. So it's great if you like action movies, if you like kung fu, like at all in any capacity. I would highly recommend you watch it. Okay, well, I have yeah. to say, so my my only exposure to this genre of like Bollywood action films mm-hmm. is sharing YouTube clips of like ludicrous yes. action sequences, mm-hmm. and I'm curious. I would like to watch a whole movie. My impression from these clips is that they're amazing to watch, but I don't know if I could watch like a whole movie asking me to accept <laughs> this yeah because the the sequences they de- they always kind of d- 
defy physics in a way that Western movies don't usually let themselves do, even mm-hmm. over the top Western action movies. Yeah. And so I'm, is that, does that describe this movie? And mm-hmm. is it nonetheless, should I just dive in and, and see how it goes? Yeah, it is. It is. None of it makes sense, right? Like there is an early sequence where you're, you're meeting one of the, the heroes for the first time. He fights a thousand people essentially <laughs> at once. Okay. it's it's like it's like a you know an angry mob and he pushes his way through the entire mob to go okay. um you know go capture like one person <laughs> out of that mob so he fights his way into the mob and then back through it you know like holding on to someone the whole time it's like so it's definitely incredible in all senses of the word, words right like that you you don't believe it it's not possible but it's also really fun sure yeah <laughs> really fun to watch the whole thing yeah Okay, so um, our, so yeah. I guess my last question for you is, uh, did has this ignited an interest in that genre? Or do you think just this particular movie hit you uh, at the right moment in time? I think this movie hit me at the right time. Like, I don't, I don't have a lot of slots for watching movies in my life, sure. in, my life in general. But I mean, it's if I'm going to look for an action movie the next time, I would probably reach for, you know, something in this genre hmm. again. It sort of reminded me a little bit like the unrealistic nature of like John Wick, for example. Okay. Right? Like, like John Wick, like he should he should not survive any <laughs> any part of that movie, right? Like, you know, he's running around using a gun like it's a I don't know like a baton or something like that like the whole time. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's that that level of like ridiculousness where you're like you have to suspend your belief a little bit. I mean, it's no different from a Marvel movie, honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah, like it's just there's people with superpowers and they can do it, do stuff like this uh but i think for me the thing that kind of sent it over the top is just the characterization of like the british people in it are just like i mean though as i said it's they're comically evil right like so you you are rooting for your heroes <laughs> the entire time yeah you're like how, how dare they <laughs> yeah it's interesting i i don't know enough about different different action genres to speak about this definitively but it's interesting mm-hmm. to think about the ways that the phases of unrealism that action movies go through. And, yeah. you know, thinking about like those Bollywood over the top action sequences have a certain a certain style of over the topness that is different from the over the topness that you get elsewhere. I Absolutely. think like if you were to look back at like Western action movies, like, you know, the, your born identities and your whatever is over the last uh, 20 or so years or your john wicks one of the ways that western action movies go over the top is by letting their heroes suffer just incredible damage with no mm-hmm. lasting effects but i don't think it's always been the case that action movies let themselves go quite so overboard you know what i mean um yeah yeah so sure. i don't know it would be interesting if to chart out the kind of the eras of action movie of what we accept in our action movie um, mm-hmm. versus when it doesn't quite feel right this is a bit grim i mean like to that point too i feel like it, when i was younger i mean probably when i was a teenager and stuff like the the quote body body count in an action movie yeah. was a thing that you talk about a lot totally. like, oh my goodness like yeah like 20 people suffered you know <laughs> suffered so much harm during this movie or something like that and like action movies nowadays have gotten to the point where it's like you you can barely count that number right 
And like the same thing in this RR movie. Like, yeah, there it is like an incalculable number of people who die <laughs> in the movie, right? <laughs> like, yeah, and like the the point is not that yeah, like you're supposed to count up that number, right? Like the point is just that it's like it's this, you're like you're washing, you're submersed in this 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 uh this version of the world in which it's like someone's finally getting revenge in the way that like they feel like they they want to like and that they need to get get revenge and like honestly in this movie they they set it up such that you again like you're rooting for them like you're you're on their side even though the the human cost to it is yeah. just obscene well if you watch uh, some 80s action movies one thing that's changed i think one of the most egregious examples is uh the arnold schwarzenegger movie commando but back mm-hmm. in the day it was considered awesome if heroes got civilians killed i think at commando arnold schwarzenegger the uncomplicated hero of the film i think uses random passers-by as like human shields uh in like a shootout it, it's something you do yeah. just like that and yeah. it's and the movie didn't expect you to do anything other than maybe kind of snort at it and then you know come coming around to the opposite side of that coin you know i feel like around 2015 2016 2017 we had this sequence of your superhero movies that were basically a long stretch of like moping about how much they were hurting (laughs) the world around them you know (laughs) we had there was a there was an avengers movie where like like 20 people or something were killed in an office building explosion and the moral thrust of the movie was like was dealing with the weight of that you know and yeah uh, so I don't know. I don't really. I don't have a direction I'm going with this observation. Just that mm-hmm. it's funny. In one decade, you can watch something and it's awesome and part of the genre. And by the next decade, you're watching the same genre, but parts of it are no longer welcome. And there's new stuff that you're accepting unquestionably that yeah. the future generations are going to look back and roll their eyes at. I know. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just that's sort of the the nature of it. I mean, like, yeah. And I think if you if you can continue to watch an '80s action movie and like not feel anything about the the human shield, like that's a problem. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. Like, even if it was like, oh, this is so cool, you know, back in the day. Yes, totally. Yeah, but I mean, I think we yeah we all hopefully evolve <laughs> evolve over time. But anyway, so that's that's my movie recommendation. This has been Chris's movie watch. <laughs> okay. Well, our, I also have a movie related thing to do, and listeners, uh, you know, Chris and I. If it's not clear by now, you know, absolutely no planning goes into these episodes. Yeah. But uh, it also is related to the action film genre. So mm. I don't know if, if this happens again, we're, we're going to have to change the name of the podcast and just start talking about terrible action movies we've seen. But <laughs> yes. uh, I watched a movie a while ago, maybe a month or so ago, and I played a role playing game maybe a month or so ago. And... I have ever since then been trying to bring these two things together. And so I want to, I want to pitch something to you and it's not a Mm -hmm. fully formed idea, but I just want to hear your reaction. So the movie I'm talking about is Prey, which is the latest uh, movie in the Predator franchise. And Mm -hmm. I I found it a really enjoyable action movie. And if you're listening to this and you should go watch it and I, I will lightly spoil that movie although the spoilers mostly amount to like yeah i mean they kill the predator at the end of the movie so sorry (laughs) sorry (laughs) i know spoiler warning i was thinking about the structure of this movie and i was thinking about like i always do how would you create this experience in a role-playing game because Mm -hmm. the battle against the predator in a movie like prey or really in most any other movie 
alien or predator movie where you're facing off against kind of a mysterious and powerful monster multiple times across the stretch of the film before you actually have the battle where you kill it. In Prey, the, the movie closes with the final battle against the predator where the hero uses everything that they've learned, all the puzzle pieces they've learned, puts them together and sets up a situation where they can defeat the predator. Mm -hmm. Until you get to that point, the hero experiences, let me put it this way, you're a player in a role-playing game and you go through six or seven scenes. Some of them are presented to you by the GM and some of them are scenes that you create by describing what you want to do. And so the scenario is you're being hunted by a predator and, you know, and a mysterious alien from outer, outer space. And the scenarios are things like this. Like in one scenario, you might come across the bloody remains of teammates that have been killed by the creature. In mm -hmm. another scenario, maybe you bump into the creature and you manage to drive it off, but not defeat it. Or maybe in another one, you bump into the creature and you barely escape with your life. But in each of these scenes, you learn something about how the creature works. So hmm. in one scene, maybe you notice that in one scene, you maybe just learn how its weapons work and that it has a cloaking device, right? In the next yeah. scene, maybe you notice a limitation like, oh, it can't see, it sees an infrared, so it can't see well. Uh, in another one, you might learn how it's... Uh, you know, shoulder-mounted rocket thing functions, <laughs> you know, how it aims yeah. it. In another one, you might just learn about another one of its, um, that it has wrist blades that it can shoot out. One scene might just be introducing into the story, like, a piece of terrain or an environment, like quicksand. And so mm -hmm. when you feel like you have gathered enough pieces of information about the creature's strengths and weaknesses and the environment, you then announce to the GM that you're ready to for the final showdown. And yeah. you assemble, you know, you put together your scene with all of these things you've learned. I'm going to lure it into the quicksand and then use uh, such and such to disable its shield. And I'm going to cover myself in mud to confuse its infrared and et cetera, et cetera. And then... Uh, then you roll on the dice and you add the number of tactical pieces of info. You add that to your die roll. And if it's high enough, it succeeds. If it's not high enough, you you almost do it. But the story continues because you, you missed something important and the creature got out of your plan. So um, my my cheeky name for this is uh, Brindlewood Prey. And I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious if you would... Uh, what you think of this game, and if you think it could work. Oh my goodness. This whole time you're talking, I'm like, this sounds like Brindlewood Bay. <laughs> <laughs> so it is. It is yeah. taking the clue-gathering structure of Brindlewood Bay, where you mm -hmm. accumulate clues, and when you feel you have enough, you mm -hmm. uh, you um, invoke that final scene where you roll the dice and you see if you've done it. But it tries to apply yeah. to the action genre. Now, I'm not... I'm not sold on this and I'm not planning to run it or anything, but I'm just curious. Do you think that, that there is something there? And uh, if not, like what's something, what's something that I could consider or change about that idea? I mean, I think there's something there. I think the, the, 
if you're doing combat, there might be a little bit of a letdown of it just coming down to a die, die roll where it's like, yeah, okay, like we got enough pieces of information. We rolled a die and we killed a predator, um, right? Like I think you want there to be something else there. I don't know what it is exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's just that like you get plus 10 on all of your die rolls for the rest of the, you know, like, yeah, it's like your, your setup, um, your setup then gives you like going forward, you get, you know, plus five to everything else that you roll. So then it's just like, a you're in charge of the situation at that point. Yeah. And that can be pretty fun where it's like, yeah, like it has 10 hit points or a thousand hit points or whatever you decide. And it's like, every time you, <laughs> you attack it, you're doing 10 or 15 or, you know, like, you know, some make the numbers go up accordingly. Um, I, I can see that being pretty cool. I mean, I really like the idea of gathering information against, um, like explicitly gathering information to use against the thing. And I think if you're going to go with the Brindlewood Bay angle on it, which is just a really brilliant idea. Um, I mean, you'd almost want it to be like you're just, you're building the monster, hmm. or like the enemy as you're going along. Yep. So then you're, the clues that you're giving them are like less like it can see infrared and more like it seems like it can't, it can see in total darkness or something like that. Yeah. Right. And then they might take a different angle with it. Yeah. Or like, yeah. Like, or you yeah, notice that your, your dead compatriots have like this wound pattern or something like that. Right. Like, so as they're reacting to it and telling you like, oh, well, I mean, this thing has like huge claws and it has a floodlight on its, you know, like on its on its head so it can see in the darkness or something like that then you can describe that monster then as it comes to them yeah at the end what i i think that's a good point what i struggle with is understanding how those scenes would individually be really fun um, or have tension Mm -hmm. so so obviously some thought needs to go into it um but i was motivated to think about this just because i found myself thinking that this scenario would be pretty hard to pull off in like a you know a traditional D and D style game um, for various reasons. You would, yeah. as the yeah. GM, you would have to you would have to manipulate the situation pretty strongly to create that action movie that that particular experience of action movies um, that they do. This just reminded me of there's a game series called I'm gonna look it up real quick. I think it's Clock Tower. Have you heard of this? Before? I don't think so. No. It's a point-and-click or, like, you know, point-and-click adventure game. I think some later ones ended up being more like 3D adventure. Um, But the idea is you're inside of, like, this clock tower or mansion or something like that. I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but I think that the idea is here. Um, So it's it's a video game. You're going through this clock tower trying to figure out, like, some sort of mystery that's going on inside. But while you're in there, the scary monster is also wandering around the clock tower. But it's, it's, it's doing so on, like, a fixed time loop okay yeah almost but it goes slower than you so like you can always outrun it as long as you don't put yourself in a situation where you can't outrun it right like if you get stuck in a corner or something like that um so the game then i think is there's a lot of like you maneuver maneuvering around rooms to like lead it around something like lead it around a table so you can get out the door right like that sort of stuff yeah because it's just it's always going to be coming at you so then the whole game then becomes how do you use the environment around you to trick it into dying or like you know killing it in some way but i wonder if you could almost yeah if you could take that tactic a bit too of like you do run across it but it's very easy for you to escape it's clear to the play like the players like you can you can attempt to take it on at any point you can always escape but if you try to take it on without any information, you're going to lose. I, you know, I like that a lot. Um, what video, what platform is that game series for? Um, I'm going to look it up. Uh, we can,
a link in the the show notes to this as well. But it looks like the first one came out in 1995 for the Super Famicom, and then the the one that I was aware of was on the PlayStation. I think there was a, a port that was okay. Done on that um it looks like there's a couple of them <laughs> a couple of them that have uh varying levels of critical success i'll say that <laughs> <laughs> yes okay uh you know i feel like there are a number of recent games that have rediscovered the joy of that of that experience of being stalked around uh mm-hmm. you know alien isolation a couple years ago and one of the recent revenant resident evils is um like you're going through a mansion and there's mm-hmm. something else moving around uh you know it's it's moving around kind of pursuing you um i don't know mm. i like that I a lot you could do that with i mean you're almost i wonder if you do it like as a hex crawl honestly right it's like you hex crawl like maybe you have information about like where the the monster is at all times or if, if you're within a space of it or something like that but if you get a space away from it then you lose track <laughs> right so it yeah be going anywhere there's a, there's a lot of fun fun ways I think you could have some asymmetrical like play and information. There. Well, what I what appeals to me about that is is letting the players understand the rules of the game. It's still fun, and the fun is now empowered by the fact that you know kind of the rules by which the monster works, and you mm-hmm. can start to um, play and experiment with them. I I like that a lot. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll look into that game series. It reminds me. Do you remember? There's an old public domain series of games, I think. The one I played was called um, Daleks from Doctor Who, but I think it was just a common public domain game where it was a turn-based game. And I'm talking like mid-80s. Um, okay. You're playing on a grid. It's you and monsters are scattered around. And it's turn-based. You can move one space on the grid per turn. And... Every time you move, make, move one space, all the monsters move one space in a line directly towards you. Oh, yeah. And so the goal is to get the monsters to collide into each other um, yeah. without letting yourself get... And, it, and it's about that. It's about you can control the situation quite well, but you can get yourself trapped if you aren't thinking uh, carefully. Yeah, yes. I think, was it Robotron, I think, is a, a version of that game? Okay. It, it, um, could, well, it could well be, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's a lot of um, like tactic tactics games that that also operate that uh, operate on that um, wavelength. Um, there is Chocobo's Dungeon again for the PlayStation. I think the PlayStation Two. I'm just like I got the deep cuts today. Okay, <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this yeah. is our show notes don't always get a lot of love, but I think this time this week we might have to uh, go a little crazy on the show notes. So yeah. I, I, my last comment here before we finally move on to our topic is I am running a, uh, an alien mini campaign in about a month. Ooh, and so this yes. is all super relevant. I, I don't plan to do anything really avant-garde with it, but this has been, this is helpful just in helping me think about what it is that is scary about being hunted or pursued by a creature uh Mm. and so i guess over the next couple of episodes if you have thoughts about what makes that work in an rpg context you know i'd uh, i'd value i value your input but it's probably time for us to move on to our topic yeah Yes, we should definitely do that. Um, yeah, so the the topic at hand, although I just want to play Brindlewood Prey now. Ha, let me let me reread hand. the topic for us. <laughs> okay, it's uh, design a tactile mechanic for tracking either danger or time. Think along the lines of a Jenga tower or candles burning out, both of yes. which are actual mechanics uh, that are used by actual role playing games, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, so when I added this to the, when I added this to the, the table, I was thinking about, we, my wife and I were out on a date recently at like an outdoor um, beer garden thing. It's called German Park. It happens out in the Ann Arbor area okay. every year. Uh, but so there was a couple playing Jenga. They had a, like an oversized version of it. So all the blocks were, I don't know, like a foot long, right? Instead <laughs> of like a couple inches. Large enough to hurt you if it fell on you? Yes, like it, like it would legitimately hurt you. Like if there was a small child wandering, around, <laughs> you probably want to like. Eh, don't. So they're they're playing on a uh, a picnic table outside on like somewhat uneven ground and stuff, right? So it's like the least good way to play jenga is right? like <laughs> on top of a picnic table. The sun's going down. There isn't a whole lot of light and all that. Um, so they're they're playing this jenga game, and it is the most tense jenga game I've ever watched in my life. And like a, a crowd started to form as they were playing. Because they were both really good at Jenga, right? Like, I'm not good at Jenga. Every time I play, it's like, you know, you're done in you know, five moves yeah. or whatever. But they just kept going. I mean, I think we watched them for 15 minutes. Wow. Right? And, like, they'd have the they'd have moves where all of a sudden, you know, like, they'd stop and, like, really, like, you know, check out where, where they're going to, you know, take the piece and, like, carefully tapping it out and, like, getting it and setting it back up. And, like, every time that they would successfully do it, you know, people would cheer and clap. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> this whole big thing but it just it made me like think about how jenga is such a can be such a tense game and doing something that's very dexterity based like that i think can add a lot of tension to like whatever game that you're doing that's sort of like where this came from like why i even put it put it on the table in the first place i'm just wondering you know like like rolling rolling dice dice is really fun and all that but like it's not the only way i think to have a mechanical way of stating like yeah, the danger or like yeah, a time frame or anything like that. Yeah, so that's that's sort of my my opening statement there. Do you have any initial thoughts? What about a game where you the player and I'm thinking about your statement that there's something about that physical dexterity of you actually performing an action that mm-hmm. is appealing. What what if you are burdened in some way? I don't want to be stupid about this, but what if you yourself are burdened in some way like you have to wear i don't know you know what you have to wear something each oh. time you uh you know i don't know you have to to put on really uh, wear a hat that you can't i you have to wear something every time you fail a roll or yeah uh, until um until it becomes impossible to play i mean that doesn't sound yeah. fun at all but uh but oh well, no i like that idea i mean like yeah like making like i don't know you have to wear sunglasses inside you right know, you right to, yeah like yeah put on a heavy coat <laughs> like you know turn up the you know, like turn off the ac in the house like those sorts of things like yeah just explore that a bit <laughs> what would be the purpose of it right would it be would it be just to like make things uncomfortable physically until so they can make the game itself uncomfortable uh, I don't know because I just kind of quickly spouted yeah. that out without giving it any thought whatsoever. Yeah. But my, you know, my sense is, you know, when it became impossible to play the game in some, I don't know, maybe you have to hold some, you know, you have to add something else that you're holding in your hands. And mm-hmm. when you reach the point where you can no longer roll the dice, then uh, you're then you're done or you're out or whatever. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, you just continue. Yeah, keep on aiming to pick things up. Like yeah, so as long as you can get a couple fingers on a die to like right yeah I mean you would see people I don't know you know leaning down and using their mouth to spit the die yeah. across the table or something dumb but it it would be funny I don't know if it's hard to imagine a role playing game in which that would add to the experience in anything other than a comical way but um, oh 
I mean, I'm just immediately thinking about like your first day of school, picking up all your books for the first time. Oh yeah. From all your classrooms. Like, right. Like, so you're, you know, you're in middle school and you're coming back with like literally 50 pounds. of textbooks. <laughs> yes. I mean, kids these days, right. You just get an iPad and that's it. But like, yeah, like, you know, back in the day, you know, they'd give you all sorts of stuff. I mean, I think you could, you could do something like that or like your office workers who just keep on getting work added to them. So you just have a, yeah. a gigantic stack of, of papers and books and other stuff that you have to carry along with you. Yeah. I think mean, you could have a lot of fun with the rules too. Like if you have to stay seated while you're carrying all that, or like you have to stand up. I don't know what the, in that system, I don't know what the whole, the point would be <laughs> right for that other than to give a sense of like overwhelm. Yeah. I mean, it feels more just like a, a dumb party dare than an, a mechanic that would produce a particular result. But Yeah, I mean, well, what are RPGs other than a series of dares? Right, for sure. <laughs> Although it is funny, I've been replaying the, the video game Death Stranding lately. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm quite fond of that game. And, of course, thinking as I play, how would you do this in a, a role-playing game? And that is that is a game that is literally about how much can you carry without dropping it? It's a walking simulator okay. and you have to carry packages from one location yeah. to the other. And it's it's literally about, can you make it with this much junk stacked up? <laughs> so I could see, <laughs> I, again, I, I don't quite think that we have a killer game uh, pitch mm -hmm. in there, but somewhere in there is something fun about making the player actually uh, have to handle a representation of whatever is going on in the game. Yeah, I like that. I mean, what if there is... So the the question, or the topic is, like, tracking danger or time. Maybe let's narrow in on one of those one of those ideas. Do you want to try, try towards the danger angle or the time angle? I'm sort of feeling time, personally. Sure, yeah. You... That, that works. Um, so, like, time, to me, it, like, it seems like there's going to be something about it to where, like, you're going to hit a point at which something's going to end or otherwise you can no longer keep up with it. Right. So if it's like you're continually like the GM is just handing out books to everybody at a certain point, someone is not gonna be able to hold all the books. Right. And then the game is over. Yeah. Um, or I'm thinking about like spinning plates, right? Like you can spin plates as long as you want, but like at a certain point you're going to be too many of them and you won't be able to spin any more plates or keep them, keep them going like that. Jenga's like that too. Right. Like it just, yeah. Like physically at, at some, some point, like you're going to, you're going to have to stop stop doing it um yeah so like uh one thing that i see a lot of players do a lot is stack their dice in front of them you know like so there's probably yeah. something there about like stacking dice or yeah, yeah absolutely stacking, stacking stuff on top of each other yeah i wonder if there could be something in the center of the table like maybe you you are just every um to track sort of when the game is done it's just everybody has a bunch of d20s and you just stack them on top of each other until until it falls yeah yeah or if you wanted to stick with something that is a little bit more thematic you could just keep stacking books too right like books are going to fall at a certain point too until you hit the ceiling <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah you could do do all sorts of stuff with that i'm intrigued by that dice stacking idea simply because that's such a ubiquitous game table piece of behavior it would be really fun to gamify that somehow yeah, yeah. but a, a lot of the things that keep springing to mind you know are some sort of physical manifestation of of checking off time or checking off hit points, you know? So, um, mm -hmm. whatever. Every time you you hit a certain bad milestone, you hand over one of your dice. And then any die roll that requires the use of that dice, you just can't, you just automatically fail. Or, um, hmm. I don't know, what if, uh, 
like if you have your player your character sheet is arranged in such a way you know those um you know when people put posters on like telephone poles with phone numbers like call mm-hmm. i need a roommate call oh. and like you tear off a piece what, yes. what if like what if like your character abilities are arranged on that character sheet as little pull-off tabs and then each time something goes bad or each time a certain time increment goes, the GM reaches over and rips a tab off of your character sheet. <laughs> and then you just, you no longer have access to whatever it was was on that little tab. Oh, I love that idea so much. Oh, that's super great. Yeah, especially yeah, you just had a, a stack of those. It's like, yeah, a lost, lost dog thing, but it's like <laughs> each of the tabs is like a fireball or something. <laughs> right, yeah. The bottom are like, yeah, 10 hit points. Okay, I like that. There's one other thing I was thinking of, and like, let's let's start to kind of narrow in on, on our idea. Yeah, was uh, like so with the the stacking the dice thing. Like, what if you, what if on like one end of the table, everybody stacked their dice um, on top of each other, and then whenever the GM, like whenever the game called for like doing damage to you or something like that, the GM took a d20 from like the opposite end of the table and kind of threw it at the towers <laughs> to see <laughs> see if they could knock them over. Sort of like oh, a, I love a it. Cricket cricket style right and so it's like if you if the whole tower gets knocked over like you're out or if like only part of it does you take you know half damage or something something oh Oh, i really like that uh you know i'm also you know what another characteristic of dice is that they're colored so Mm. i like what if the players are stacking their dice in some way you have a couple distinct colors of dice so there's like three colors of dice and i don't know maybe two colors can never be touching each other or something like that so interesting. So you know the players. Each time something happens, the players add a die to the little thing, but they would have to play in advance a little bit so that that you don't get stuck with two dice of the same color touching. I don't know. Oh yeah, I mean you could do a lot of like fun stuff with that. Like where if if there are color combinations that do end up happening, maybe it it, it um, changes how the game goes. Yeah, <laughs> maybe in some way. Maybe yeah. some are good. Even uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. Or, yeah, or stack it. I mean, you could get really, really silly about it. The facing of the the die somehow could, like, which faces are are out or touching or pointed at each other could mean something. But um, so if you had the die and then you you made it like a random draw to see which one that you pulled out, I think that's where you could have some a lot of fun with the the manipulation of like how they're touching. So yeah. maybe maybe you have like three stacks that are in play at any one time, and it's like so any if like two white die touch like a good a good thing happens if a white and a red like a neutral thing happens if like a white and a black touch or something like that like then it's a bad thing or i I don't know yeah like you have some like sequences like that but there's three separate piles that people can be playing off of so you you can manipulate like what's happening based on like yeah what when you draw like deciding which pile to put it on right but you might back yourself into a corner right like maybe like the, the good thing happening is somewhat rare unless you manipulate the ordering does that make any sense at all as i'm talking it do, it it does you would need something that played with the tension of like i could play this die right now and get us mm-hmm. like closer to victory or i could wait and hope for a better like to be able to make a better play but mm-hmm. but like cost us some time or something i, I mean do you know what i mean there would need to be some yeah. kind of um risk reward tension in what you're doing i think yeah what if it's like there's a sequence of and again we're, we're kind of hand waving i think the 
the actual game that you're playing. I think that's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. The idea is like you come up with sort of a, a cool mechanic that to yeah to um to insert. But like, what if it's okay? So like, what if you have the three piles or there's two piles or something like that? You know, so you can manipulate that a little bit. But it's like you you have to like cap off a sequence of them. So it's like, and it's additive. So you draw a white die, you put it down. You draw another white one, you put that one on top. And it's like, so now now you're at like a good result. You draw a third one. If you put that on top, then it's like a great result or something like that. But to to, to make it happen, you have to place a red die on mm. top to like make it happen. Yep. Yeah. Like, so it's like you, you're building up and like, so it's a push your luck scenario. So if you get like five of them stacked on top of each other, but then you can't draw that that red die to like make it happen, like you are you're sort of stuck, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. But if you draw the the I don't know the black die or the green die, like whatever it is, like your bad one, it's like then then you lose your combo right from there. It's um, it's funny. I think it's in our personalities that we are both going into complexity here. I think it's mm-hmm. our you know Magic the Gathering and other yes. fandom that you know we as the more you talk i mean i'm getting really excited about this idea you know if you can play these two at the same time and you get a combo <laughs> or or whatever you know and yeah like what i i feel like surely there's a listener out there whose whose brain can take this kind of hodgepodge of ideas and make something coherent <laughs> cool complex system but i will say uh one thing we are losing is this is the amazing dreadful simplicity of jenga which is, mm-hmm. you know, try to put this on without knocking the whole tower over, right? And I do yeah. think you do lose some of the tension when you have to think about, when you have to think too much about like, uh-oh, our dice are are starting to not stack up in the right combos. You know what I mean? Yeah. Would it help if fair. we, you know, identified the scenario we're trying to track? Because we're talking pretty abstractly at this point. Yeah, you're right. Let's go back to the idea of time. If we like the dice stacking idea, one way to do that and to remove a lot of the complexity we were just talking about is like there's just I don't know. There's there's uh twelve um twelve D twenties in the bag, right? And like you keep on drawing from that bag until you draw the red one hmm. or something like that. Yep. Right. Like so you have to stack them on top of each other and they, they must stay stacked or the game is over. Or if you draw that like that last color, then the game's over. Interesting. So, so how, so is this how it would play in the bag? There are, you know, seven blue dice and three red dice. Mm -hmm. And each time you take an action, you draw a die out of the bag and you put, and you stack it and then your Mm -hmm. action succeeds. But the first time you are forced to place a red die on top of another red die, your action fails. Is that Oh, I'm thinking like that. That would be the end of the, the game. end of the game. Oh, the got it. So you'd use this as a, like a, a pacing mechanic, almost. It's like, and I think like games like The Quiet Year do this too, where it's like you shuffle, um, you shuffle like the last card of the game, and you take like the bottom ten cards, you put the last card in there, and, and shuffle them. So you, you're not really sure when the game is going to be done, but you, like you have somewhat of indication. Yep. And there, I think it could be the same way. Like the game could be over that first pull. Right, it could, statistically, it's it's probably not going to be right. Like if you do, if you put a hundred a hundred d twenties in there, and only one of them is the the game ending one, something like that, right? Like you'd have to kind of find where the good, like what the good number is in there. But I mean, I think that would add some fun tension to it. It's like, well, we're trying to accomplish this thing, but it's like you got to draw <laughs> draw the right die, you know, so we can get that extra turn. I haven't totally wrapped my head around this, but I really like mm-hmm. where it's going. So it calls to mind another type of board game that messes with time is there are some historical war games that introduce 
uh, uncertainty around how long it will take you to execute uh, a move. So I th- I think mm. World in Flames works like this. Some other the, these tend to be complicated games where you don't know how long your turn, how many moves you're going to have in your turn, because and I'm oversimplifying here. Every time you do a move, there's a random element that determines whether you can keep going or not, and it gets less and less likely that you'll your turn will keep getting extended as you go along but Mm. it holds out this possibility you know that you can whatever blitz your way all the way to moscow in one turn if you just if the dice keep if if you keep drawing the right chits or rolling the right numbers in those games i like the uncertainty and like you're you could plan for something amazing and have to stop after one move or yeah. you might wind up, your turn might end up getting stretched out longer than you wanted to and kind of tempting you into um, mm. doing something that you, stretching yourself too thin, for example, just to, to, to keep the moment of your of your turn going. So yeah. that sprung to mind while you were talking about that. And Ooh, yeah. and that idea of like not, not maybe having a sense of when the game is ending, but not knowing exactly when you're going to draw the card or the color die that's going to, to, to finish it i really like that i mean i think there needs to be some sort of you know minimum number right because i don't think you want to set up a game and then it's like well you draw the first one and it's, it's done <laughs> yeah but like going i mean thinking about like the idea of turns right of turns not really being sure of where of how long they're going to be maybe that's that's the way to do this die drawing mechanic that makes it a little bit more fun it's like on your turn you're drawing from your own bag of six dice or something like that you know, so like you could do five things or you could only do one. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you, you always get your final action or something like that. I think there's something cool about that. The other idea that I had, and I don't know if this is possible, if you could get like one die that's glow in the dark, but it's the same color okay. as the rest of them somehow. Yeah. And so you, you end up like you stack them. Like, and so you tell this story together that's, you know, 10 turns long, something like that. And you know, know what happened on each turn. And then you stack them on top of each other and then you flip the lights off oh. and see like which one, like where the game actually ended. Oh, that is fun. Are yeah. there, <laughs> are there like paints or something that yeah. you could put on that would be visible? Like if you switched on a black light or turned off a glow in the dark or something, but that genuinely black, black you couldn't detect at a, on a casual glance. Yeah, blacklight's probably the way to do it. Yeah, that. But I mean, I think there's there's it could be something really cool with that of of you tell a story and then go back and then figure out that that actually. Oh man, <laughs> turn three is done. Okay, well we should uh, we need we do need to wrap this conversation yeah. up as much as I want to keep going. So I mean, there's a couple of really good ideas in there. I I love your idea of uh yeah of like a um, <laughs> telephone pole. You know, tear off your your number here. I think there's something there's something there. I've been thinking about this in the context of the alien game I'm running because that's mm-hmm. going to have a, a lot of ways that a mechanic like this could be implemented. And like I said, unless we really nail this down, I'm not going to spring it on my players. But there, you know, and not to spoil my alien scenario, you know, but the the reactor is always going to set to go off in like four hours unless you can mm-hmm. get off the space station. And I mean, there's you have time constraints and you have damage constraints, and I. I wonder if we could um, nail one of these, especially that time constraint thing. I wonder if we could 
nail something down in time for me to try it in the game. I don't know. Um, oh yeah. So if, yeah, let's do we we can we can take that like offline, I guess, or offline, off air, if you will. Yeah, like, let's let's, uh, yeah, let's pitch can, this we'll to some of uh, some of our former guests and see if we can come up with a fun. If maybe using one of these ideas as the basis, we could come up mm-hmm. with a fun time countdown mechanic that's not just simply watching the clock. Um, mm-hmm. That's yeah, and that fits in with with Alien as well. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah maybe giving it a specific game scenario might help, or maybe not, but. But yeah, you're yeah. right. We need to wrap up this episode because I think both of us uh, need to get back to work. But uh, yes, yeah, um, yeah. A little peek behind the curtain. We're recording in the middle of the day today. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. So okay. Well, that that was super fun. Um, like all good conversations, it uh, it ends with a lot of other ideas that you need to explore. Yeah. <laughs> explore elsewhere. But hopefully, there's something fun in there for you, and hopefully, um, your brains are going to dear listener. Yeah, and um, uh, yeah, you know, so, if you do, okay. we've had this before. If you do come up with a cool idea or you improve on one of the things we just did, uh, please drop us a note. Our contact information is on uh, gmdiscussions.com. And mm-hmm. we do occasionally hear from listeners, and it's always a, uh, a delightful experience. So, yeah. so far, it's yeah, been it delightful. But let's not <laughs> yeah, change that. I guess don't be the one to, <laughs> yeah. to ruin it. No, please, please reach out. But um, okay, yeah, so let's do some of our wrap up stuff. So, Roll for Topics part of the Roll for It Media Podcasting Network. Um, our sister show, The Splat Book, with John Corey and Kyle Latino, is going strong. Um, their most recent episode, I think, had the highest number of like me yelling at my podcast, <laughs> my podcast player <laughs> incidents of any episode that they've had. Uh, it was really good. They did a great discussion about like likelihood versus difficulty. Um, which seems like a simple topic, but there's there's a lot that goes into it. Um, yeah, so go give that a listen. I'm probably actually going to listen to that one again so I can um, talk to them in a calm and collected manner in person about some of their thoughts. Here's here's what I want, Chris. I want you to record your live reactions as you listen, and then there can be a director's cut of that episode with your reaction, <laughs> with your screams of outrage uh, <laughs> layered in the background. Yeah, it was, not, it was not screams of outrage on this one. It was more like, uh, it, oh, okay, we need to talk about <laughs> talk about this. Um, and then, uh, of course, like, you know, 10,000 video game references that I needed to make oh, while they were course, talking. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so it's a super good podcast. Uh, they did a bunch of actual plays this summer, too, that are also really excellent, too. So yeah, go listen to it. Um, we love it a lot. Um, but yeah, so we've been roll for topic, though. Yeah, as Andy said, please reach out if you have any any commentary or questions or ideas that um, listening to this episode sparked. Um, but I think that is about it for us. We are closing in on an episode number 100. Um, so we will have more information about what we're going to do when episode 100 lands. That's <laughs> <laughs> how that's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. Remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM.